Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's Star Wars Day, May the 4th, as in May the 4th be with you. It's also the day that's supposed to rocket the economy with manufacturing, construction, and general office settings free to reopen. Welcome back to This Week in the CLE, the Cleveland.com News Podcast. I'm Cleveland.com editor Chris Quinn with colleagues Jane Cahoon and Laura Johnston. Another weekend of pretty great weather, hey? It was perfect. I mean, you couldn't ask for a nicer two days in a row. I planted our whole vegetable garden and got out in the water and everything. Ah, it was glorious. Finally got the bikes out and took like a two and a half hour ride. It was wonderful. Yeah, it was nice to get both days being days you could do something with. Let's get to it. Should we start closing streets to save our restaurants? Would closing streets like West 25th Street to create pedestrian corridors where restaurants could space out their tables safely in the coronavirus era be the kind of visionary thinking a city needs to cope in the future? Reporter Evan McDonald explored this in a story we published Saturday. Laura Johnston, what did Evan find? This is an idea that restaurant owners love but haven't ever been able to make happen. The idea is to create an entertainment district like East 4th or Times Square where people can just spill out onto the streets and hang out. It would give restaurants a lot more room to spread out their tables rather than just slash capacity when they're finally able to reopen their dining rooms. And if tables were outside, that might make the transmission of the disease a lot more difficult. If you close the streets, of course, you make deliveries to the restaurants more difficult, but they think they can deal with that? Yeah, I think so. Most of the restaurants have back doors anyway in an alley or a parking lot where they get deliveries and they can put out trash. And even if they didn't, you'd think if this were a district-wide change, they could come up with some kind of solution. Now's the time to experiment, right? The weather is getting ideal. You could shut down the streets, put tents up to keep out the rain, not really impede much traffic because, well, we don't have much traffic. Is City Hall open to this? Yeah, actually, City Council President Kevin Kelly said it seems like a reasonable solution. So the restaurants have never been able to get this done before, but maybe this crisis is the impetus they need to make it happen. Restaurateur Sam McNulty had this great quote for Evan. Now is the time for grand plans and bold moves because it's such a time of transition and we're rewriting so many of the rules. Well, all right. I guess the question is the one we keep coming back to as we discuss the future of Cleveland after the pandemic. Who is that visionary thinker and leader who will get it done? The council people say they're open to it, but that's kind of passive. Who takes the reins? Isn't this the million dollar question for a lot of our our, our questions, actually? there There's going to have to be a leader with some kind of consensus. Maybe it's the Cleveland Independence Restaurant Group. I think they've got about 80 restaurants in that group. Maybe it's a big name like Zach Brule or 
or Michael Simon or something, maybe the Greater Cleveland Partnership could champion it as a way to keep people coming downtown without professional sports or theater or full office buildings. But you're right. We we do need a visionary leader here. Well, I mean, the, the elected leaders say they're open to it, but you, you would think that if they're serious about the future, they'd be carrying the banner. They would be making it happen, not just saying, huh, sounds like a good idea. Yeah, I, I, it's just <laughs> bizarre. It's such a lethargy in this town. It's this week in the CLE. Does Ohio Governor Mike DeWine's coronavirus shutdown end before Memorial Day? Laura Johnston, you saw quite a bit of traffic on a story you published last week that noted the governor's stay-at-home order, now renamed an Orwellian in pretty stupid style, as the Stay Safe Ohio order, includes Memorial Day weekend. But DeWine came back Friday to say maybe not. Yeah, this is a head-scratcher. DeWine said people should not read much into the expiration date because a lot will change and he's going to be issuing superseding orders. He just said he had to pick a date. You know, that's pretty much nonsense, though. Yeah, he had to pick a date and he didn't pick the Friday before Memorial Day weekend. He picked the one after. You can't tell me that's random. Jane Cahoon, do you suspect the governor heard some complaining when people realized he had just canceled Memorial Day weekend? I would bet. I mean, I think that's the first thing a lot of people thought of. And it was one of the first things he addressed at his briefing on Friday was to say, hey, don't fixate on this date. As Laura said, he said, you know, we're going to be doing other stuff. So anyway, who knows? He says, don't fixate on the date, but the date (laughs) is on the order. When on on the day he said he was changing the name and extending it, the first question is, was when does it end? And remember Dan Tierney came back and said, yeah, you'll know when you see the order It's like, we don't know yet. And then when it comes out, it wipes out the weekend. Memorial Day is the start of summer. I expect people will want to take vacations this summer in some form. Like most people get that the big crowds and the fireworks and parades are out, but they want to get out and do stuff. Having that order include the unofficial start of summer was either really intentional or bonehead stupid. And I don't think the governor's stupid. Was it a misfire, Laura? I really don't know what he was thinking because if he thought, even if he thought no way are we allowing pools to open or people to have barbecues or travel to a cottage or something, you think he would have started shorter, like May 15th, and then just extended it. It's always easier to just incrementally add on. Why he put something in writing and then said it probably wouldn't last that long is odd. He hasn't really superseded any order so far. Regardless, the fact that this story trended all weekend tells you that people really want to know when they're going to be allowed out. People want their summer. It's clear. It's this week in the CLE. Why are coronavirus protesters going after reporters and Ohio Health Director Dr. Amy Acton? It's getting ridiculous, Jane Cahoon. A small group of protesters paraded in front of Acton's house Saturday, and they were somewhat threatening. Here's a woman who's doing her job, providing the best advice she can to the governor about how to keep Ohioans safe. And these screwballs are all twerked up about not being able to go shopping and trying to intimidate her at her house. Yeah, it it was a small group, though, and, and there wasn't any trouble reported. And apparently they stayed on the sidewalk. Uh, and a couple of police cars were were spotted there. But I should also mention that the next day on Sunday, Acton uh got some love from a group of doctors who staged a silent demonstration on the statehouse grounds. They were standing at least six feet apart and they were holding signs supporting Acton's decisions on this. Think about it, though. I mean, here's somebody that took as a scientist, right, takes a job, gets tapped by the governor 
to be the health director, which is a job nobody pays attention to for a hundred years. And then all of a sudden there's a <laughs> pandemic, but she's just doing her job. I mean, and looks out her window and there are people outside with signs. And I don't know. It's just, it seems very, very intimidating. Governor Mike DeWine on Friday made a pretty spirited defensive act and then told people if they got a problem, aim their venom at him. But these folks weren't listening. No, I guess they weren't. He made it clear to say, uh, he used the old term, the buck stops with him, and that he's the one responsible for every order, even if it's had Acton's name on it. It's He's the one with the responsibility. And he also said, I understand people are frustrated, but you know he's doing his best to, to balance everything. And when they asked Acton about it, she was kind of her typical gracious self, but she just kind of said, hey, I'm an ordinary person during an extraordinary time here. Also on Friday, Cleveland.com reporter Laura Hancock shot some video of a protester bullying a television reporter headed to the governor's briefing. I spent part of the weekend giving all sorts of TV stations permission to use the video because they wanted to push back on the attack on a colleague. What happened? Yeah, this was really unfortunate. A television reporter by the name of Adrian Robbins from NBC4 in Columbus was trying to cover the protest, you know, before the briefing, just doing her job. And this woman who was protesting, who was not wearing a mask, accosted her and got pretty close to her, berating her for the way the media was covering COVID-19 and and berating her for wearing a mask. And, you know, Robbins politely asked her to distance herself, but apparently she kept following her around and she told Robbins that she had no right to social distancing in public. And at one point, while the woman was yelling at her, Robbins tried to adjust her face mask and her glasses ended up getting knocked off and broke. And anyway, the whole thing was just really uncalled for. I wrote a column Saturday about Laura and the experience of covering the briefings. And one of the more shocking things she talked about is when reporters were in the atrium of the state house security overturned tables to serve as barricades in case protesters outside started shooting. Yeah, that that was the same day that a Columbus dispatch photographer captured that image that went viral of the zombie-like, you know, protesters with their faces against the windows, you know, banging on the windows and shouting. And because they were armed, you know, statehouse security got really concerned. And now the reporters are are in the basement where there aren't any windows. It's the height of silliness. Today's the 50th anniversary of the Kent State Massacre. And you think about it, back then, the protests were about ending a war. Today, it's because these people want to go shopping. They wrap (laughs) themselves in the defense of liberty. But come on, no one's taking their liberty. That's a dodge. Anyway, it's this week in the CLE. What are the working groups that Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has created to help him lift more coronavirus restrictions? Jane Cahoon, the governor dropped that bomb in the Friday briefing. He's creating all sorts of advisory groups. Who are they? (laughs) Well, the governor is a big fan of task forces and working groups, although I'm not sure there's a distinction there. He's fond of saying that there are a lot of people out there in these businesses who know a lot more than, than he does, and they can help him come up with the best practices so that they can set dates on opening, reopening some of these businesses. Anyway, the, these individual groups are being formed to advise him on reopening restaurants, salons, gyms, sports facilities, daycares, libraries, travel, theaters, you name it. He's, he's going to have a group for it. 
So how does someone get on one of these groups? I'll bet all sorts of people in a variety of industries want in. Yeah, I assume they're they they're just reaching out through the various trade associations. Um, so far, we only know the members of the restaurant and then the salon and barber groups. They they look pretty diverse. For instance, the restaurant group has representatives from Red Steakhouse as well as White Castle. So as well <laughs> as public health professionals who are go- going to help set the standards here. So let's talk barbers and hair salons. These people would coach the governor on how it might work if they reopen, like the hair care people might wear masks while they tend to your hair or something like that. That's the general gist of these things. I think so. I mean, they need to know like how these services are provided, you know, like businesses where people touch you, you know, cutting your hair and doing your nails or whatever. But they also do have these public health professionals on on these working groups to kind of say what's what could work and what couldn't. So I think that's what they're trying to figure out. The restaurant group has a challenge because clearly restaurants will have to reduce capacity. And we've heard from them that they need to be at full capacity to make it. I'd love to hear the conversations. Speaking of which, wouldn't the discussions of these working groups be subject to the Public Meetings Act? They're probably getting together via Zoom or something like it. Why aren't we all getting to listen in? We're working on that, Chris. Same goes for any communication, right? If they're sending emails to each other, that would all be public record. We should get that too? We're working on that, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I can't wait to see how transparent they are this week in the CLE. Why is Cleveland getting rid of the scooters? I don't get this one. The city has asked scooter companies to pick up the scooters. With people afraid to use taxis, Lyft, and Uber, because that's a good way to get the coronavirus, the scooters seem like a good answer. Laura, what gives? Laura Johnston. So Mayor Frank Jackson's administration has said the city needs time to sort out, quote, the responsible redeployment of scooters and bicycles as businesses reopen downtown. So I guess they rounded all these up in March. They're out. They're not on the streets anymore. They're back at the companies. So before they let them bring them back, they want to give them some rules. I don't know what they're waiting for. Maybe that it depends on who's working downtown and where or when restaurants reopen. They might want to group them in certain places rather than have them scattered throughout the city. But they've asked them to hold tight for right now. We talked to the scooter companies and they sound like they're doing a lot to be responsible, right? What did they tell us? Yeah, reporter Bob Higgs didn't get answers from all the companies, but Spin and Lime gave us a list. Spin has distributed uh, personal protective equipment, including face shields for the workers in warehouses where the vehicles are stored and recharged. And they can track who's using the scooters. So when they've been used enough times, they pick them up and disinfect them before putting them back out on the street. They're also working on safety recommendations for riders. I assume that's going to be masks and gloves. Lime has made similar moves. They're stepping up their cleaning methods. They're increasing the frequency of cleaning and disinfecting their scooters. It's bizarre to me that the city hasn't done anything to restrict Uber and Lyft, at least not that I know of, but is messing with the scooters. Didn't one company say it deployed them in Columbus and actually saw demand? Yeah, uh, Lime did. They put out hundreds in specific neighborhoods, and they're actually offering free 30-minute rides for workers in healthcare, public safety, and law enforcement. And they said people are willing to ride them. Any idea how long it will take the city to figure this out? Downtown Cleveland is a ghost town. You'd think the city would want to do anything it could to make going there more attractive. There's no timetable. So your guess is as good as mine. Actually, it's probably better. (laughs) All right. That's a strange one. It's this week in the CLE. 
Does Ohio have more coronavirus cases per capita in the cities than it does in rural areas? Jane Cahoon, it's not surprising that the answer to this question is yes, but it's the degree with which it is yes. Right. Rich found that coronavirus cases reported by the state are nearly three times more likely per capita to be from Ohio's six big counties than than from the dozens of smaller counties of under 50,000 people. There have been 158.9 cases per 100,000 people in the six uh, large counties combined, and just 56.4 cases per 100,000 in the 39 counties with with the populations, with the lower populations. Any theories here on why? Well, as you said, overall, it's not very surprising with this contagious virus, and then you pack people together and it spreads. You know, the the density just makes the virus easier to spread. So what are we all doing here? Should we be headed to temporary (laughs) quarters in the middle of nowhere? If you'd be allowed to go there, right? Uh, Regardless of where you live, the rules are the same. I wish... I wonder if it's just more people at the grocery store in the urban areas, because where else are people going besides parks, obviously, because I went to a couple of parks this weekend and they were all hopping and no one was wearing masks. But this all could be based on the fact that the virus was rolling around and we didn't know it. Right. I mean, a lot of these infections probably happened before we started social distancing. The idea is that this thing was was making the rounds in February. Mm-hmm. That's true. I, I mean, who knows when people are getting infected and then how long that asymptomatic period is lasting. I know it's not possible to figure it out and there'll be lots of debate eventually, but wouldn't you love to know what the per capita rate in, in our area would have been if we had not stayed at home for the last seven weeks? Boy, you got to believe it would be off the charts. And I'm afraid we're going to start seeing another spike here this week after more people go back to work. Well, the original prediction was more than 60,000 cases a day in the peak for the state, I think, which is just mind-boggling when you think we have 20, 000, not quite 20,000 cases total so far. Okay. It's this week in the CLE. How is Cuyahoga County government helping people in need get food, household supplies, and housing during this pandemic? Laura Johnston, the county announced what sounds like a much-needed plan to help people. What is it? For families who need help, um, their family income needs to be 200% of the poverty line or lower. Vouchers for food and supplies are available through the county's Prevention, Retention, and Contingency Program. That received $1.7 million in emergency aid from the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services. They can use the vouchers at local businesses that sell essential products like Dave's Supermarkets, Mark's Save-A-Lots, and then there are housing vouchers that are distributed directly to landlords. The county is trying to talk more merchants into accepting the vouchers. Is there resistance to it? The county is asking other retailers to sign up, but this is new, so I I figure that might take a while. I take it people can apply online? Yes. You can download applications from the county website. Um, You can email them to, it's a complicated email address, but it's cuy-prc-application at jfs.ohio.gov. Or you can fax it, or you can call online. That number is 216-987-7392. You'd think the county would just put together a simple redirect so people don't have to use that bizarre address. <laughs> maybe, maybe they'll feature it on the county's homepage. I don't know. It's this week in the CLE. 
What's an intubation box? This is a good news story about two local institutions getting together to invent products to help during the coronavirus pandemic. Laura Johnston, who are they and what have they created? Yeah, we are seeing all sorts of innovations and studies coming from local hospitals and universities. And frankly, it's a little hard to keep up with them. But university hospitals and Case Western Reserve University created a clear plastic box about the size of a laundry basket with holes for their for hands of doctors and nurses. And they can use the box to protect themselves from the coronavirus infected droplets that can get aerosolized during the intubation process when they're kind of shoving a tube down a patient's throat. It seems like an obvious one, and yet it wasn't. So kudos for them for figuring it out. We had a picture of the thing that's somewhere online, and it's just a big plastic box with handholds. I mean, it's, but I guess it prevents you from getting sick. This came out of a center that is designed to think up these kinds of innovations. Yeah, this is the Sears Think Box Center, and it's named after a guy named Larry Sears. And the idea is just to come up with innovations. And they also came up with a way to protect eye doctors when they get close to patients to peer into their eyes. Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff that they're coming up with. Right now, they've also ramped up production really quickly, working with manufacturers throughout Northeast Ohio and Northwest Pennsylvania to produce 5,000 shields a day and sell them at cost to hospitals. And the idea is if I'm an eye doctor, I got to get close to you. And if you're exhaling coronavirus, um, it's coming at me that the shield would protect me from it. I think so. I mean, they're <laughs> they're the experts in this, but yeah, they're coming up with neat ways to protect people. All right, it'd be interesting to see what they come up with next. It's this week in the CLE. Okay, on to the news. Jane, the governor said he'd talk about testing today, I think. He's been talking about expanding it. Do you think we're going to get some good details? Well, I hope so. I mean, that's going to be such a vital part of responding to the the spikes that we're going to see when more and more people go back to work. But Who knows? Maybe he's teasing us again. You keep reading about these blanket tests that are done where enormous numbers of people have it, were asymptomatic. There was a meat plant somewhere out out west where they tested the workforce and hundreds and hundreds tested positive and they were asymptomatic. And we really have not had the opportunity to figure that out in Ohio. Are we surrounded by people who are contagious or not. And and hopefully we're going to get to the point where they can do more than just test people that have symptoms. Uh, he keeps promising. So so that's the story of the day, I guess. As I Are, said, that's what we're hoping. Jane, <laughs> bringing in a doctor to talk on TV about it, like where DeWine basically interviews an expert. <laughs> oh, God, no, I hope that's not what it is. <laughs> those are painful. All right. Well, thanks, Jane. Thanks, Laura. And thanks to everyone for listening. This week in the CLE, we'll be back tomorrow. 